0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to turn to God's Word. We are in the book of Jude for this morning. If you don't know where the book of Jude is, you got the book of Revelation at the very end of the Bible, which is all like the dragons and comic book stuff at the very end. And then the book right before that is called the book of Jude. It's just like 26 verses long. It's super small. Um... And we're going to be looking at that this morning, just as we are concluding the summer, and then we'll be back into our series on 1 Corinthians. We were doing a series on the book of 1 Corinthians called Good News for Bad Christians. And if you feel like you're really bad at following Jesus, and what does it mean to follow Jesus, I'd love for you to come back and be with us next week, because we're going to be picking up in 1 Corinthians. So, what we're going to do is, I'm going to read for us from the book of Jude. I'm not going to read the whole book, but I am going to read... Uh, several verses from the book of Jude, just to kind of get us a sense of where we're at. And we're going to be focusing on verses 17 to 21, and I'll call those out when we get to those. So the book of Jude, verses 1 to 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all, to, this, to delivered uh, do, for, once for all, delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were destined for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God, of our God, in sensuality and deny our Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Then, skipping over to verse seventeen, where we'll be focusing. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the past there were, in in the last days there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And let me just kind of finish this out. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray and ask God's help as we look at his word together. Father, I pray as we look at this passage, um, that can feel very contentious and active, feel a bit like a battle. I pray that you would help us to enjoy your love, to fight for each other, and to fight for each other to be found in Jesus. So it's in his name we pray. Amen. Here's a question I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, maybe you've thought about it, but how do Christians become mean? How do, how do Christians they get older, they get along in life, just get kind of angry? I don't know if you've ever picked up on this. Sometimes you, you, can, you can know folks and it seems like they've you know, been in Jesus for a while and just kind of get a little crotchety and angry. It's understandable in a certain sense, right? To be, to be a Christian is to recognize that there is a war, right? To be a Christian is, frank, is frankly to say, I know that I'm at war with God and that God's made peace with me in Jesus. And so in Jesus, when we, when we trust in Christ, we're laying down our arms, right? That's basically what we're doing when we're, when we're trusting in Christ. We're saying, I, I was once a rebel. I was once making war with God and he's made peace with me and so there's no longer war. But then there's also the dynamic that the world is not made all new in Jesus yet, There are maybe contentious issues. There's a lot of fighting going on about what is is real and what's true and what's good. And so we can kind of always feel a battle with the culture around us or our friends and neighbors who don't know Jesus. Or maybe even other people in Jesus who don't agree with us. So while we may have had peace with God, we may still have wars that we continue to fight on the inside. And that's what the, this book is kind of all about that. You, you, I don't know if you saw this when we read through this, but verse three, beloved, although I was very, very eager to write to you about our common salvation, right? Basically saying, guys, I, here's what I want to do. I want to write all about Jesus and how great he is and what it's like to follow him and how good he is. But then he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to what? Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so he's saying Guys, I wanted to write like the best like I love you note and just commend you and say how great things are in G in Jesus. But we've got some family issues, some family problems we gotta deal with. And that's what he spends the rest of the letter writing about. And what we're looking at, verse 17 to 21, is kind of after he's illustrated this whole big point about how there's spiritual darkness that's fighting against the light of God and Jesus. And so basically the rest of the, what we're picking up in verse 17 and 21 is kind of a summary statement and kind of looking forward of what's going on with what does it mean to follow Jesus. And before we get into what the main point of the passage is, I just want to draw out that basically what we're, talking about, we're talking about contentious issues, we're talking about war and battle. You've got people who love Jesus, you've got people who hate Jesus, you've got people who love Jesus' family, you've got people who hate Jesus' family. So when we're looking here, I just want to drop our eyes down to verse 17 and 19. That's what's going on here. We're talking about this contentious battle that that he was talking about before. That's what we're looking at here. He picks up and kind of clarifies. For you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. You might just call these people family haters, right? Family haters... They cause divisions, verse 19. Verse, 20, verse 19, they're worldly. That means that they don't love God's design. They're void. That's a typo, not voice of the Spirit, void, right? Speaking of all the technical issues we got this morning, I've got my own. Void of the Spirit. They're without God's life. They're controlled by ungodly passions. In verse 18, they're scoffers. We looked at this recently. But a scoffer from Proverbs twenty-one twenty-four is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride, right? Family lovers, on the other hand, verses 1 and 2. You see book the book of Jude starting out. What does he say? Jude, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept in Jesus Christ. Right, Verse 1, family lovers. There's not supposed to be two little dots there, but just one. Sees God's people as loved by the Father. Verse 2, desires. What is, he, what is somebody who loves God's people? They desire Mercy. Peace and love, we are going to circle back to that, just kind of put a pin on that word mercy. We're going to put a pin on that and circle back. They have mercy, peace, and love for God's people, verse 17, where we are starting out here. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of our Lord Jesus Christ. They love God's people as dear friends. And verse 17, they love God's word, because that is what is happening here in verse 17, 18. He's quoting from God's word, right, From, from what Jesus said. So, you got these two different categories. You got family lovers and family haters. You got people who love Jesus and love, they don't love Jesus. And in the middle of that, we are all trying to answer the question how do we become happy Christians who are happy to see Jesus and not mean Christians that are cantankerous on the way to see him? Right? So, we're kind of you're picking up where I'm going with this. We want to be people who are happy and happy with Jesus and happy with Jesus together which means that we are going to have a bit of a war on the inside that we need to figure out and fight. And so when it comes to what the main point of what this passage is this morning, here's where we're going to say the main point is, the family of God contends for the faith by keeping each other safe in Jesus. Right, Verse 17 and 21, that's where we're just kind of landing, looking at. The family of God contends for the faith by keeping each other safe in Jesus. So we want to see Jesus together, and we want to be happy about it, but we got a bit of a war between here and there, a war on the inside, a war among us at times. And so Jude's point is that the family needs to keep each other safe amidst all these battle, contentious influences around us. So how do we do that? How do we get from here to seeing Jesus face to face and be happy about it? I, I want us all to grow, grow old and be happy as old Christians in Jesus and then breathe our last breath and see Jesus face to face. And I want us to do it together. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up in verse 20. How do we contend to keep the family of God safe? We're going to pick up here in verse 20. We're going to say the first thing that we do is we contend for the family's house. Right? If we're family in Jesus... I want to contend for the family's house. Beloved, but you, beloved, build yourself up in the most holy faith. I'm just going to, I'm going to bank on that statement for a minute. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. First, he says to them, beloved, it doesn't just kind of say, hey, guys, uh, like I would get up here, I'm a little bit more relaxed, right? i just going to give her, hey, guys, let's, let's love each other. That's not what he just says. He says, but you, beloved, and just to clarify, this isn't to you personally, Like, hey, Jacob, hey, Dave, hey, Anna, I love you. This is a big statement to everybody, all of God's people, right? This is uh, to use the southern phrase, hey, y'all, right? Y'all who are beloved, all of you. There's not a degree, one higher, one lower. It is, you are dearly loved, you are deeply desired, you are enjoyed by God, and you are my dear friends, and I love you all. I love y'all. And so here's what I'm going to say to y'all, right, to use our southern phrase, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. So what does he tell them to do? He says, build each other up, right? But the phrase here, actually, the the building up, you you have to imagine at the time, when they said building up, they weren't saying like, okay, we're going to lay the the cement foundations, and then we're going to put up the scaffolding and put the the pine wood, and put the, you know, how do you build a house? Like, obviously, I'm not a construction guy. You know, what do I know? <laughs> like, the house gets built. They were using stone at the time. So, he says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Or imagine what stone, like, how do you do stonework? Has anybody, anybody done stonework before? Right. So, my friends who are stonemasons and stonework, it is very meticulous to put pull together stones. Like, you think about these New England, like, farm uh, walls that we've got, right? You know, you you. Dig up the ground, you find the stone, you have to put the stones in a pile. And then what do you do? You have to look at the stones and figure out, this stone matches here with this stone, and they actually fit together well, and they're set together in the, the most kind of natural way. When you know each stone, you put them together. Right? So when he's saying to you, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, he is saying, look, you guys are the stones of Jesus' house. Right? He is intending to build a house here among you. And you must know each other. You must know how each other is designed and saved and and given the grace of God to know how you fit together, right? You have to know what goes where, who goes in the house where, because you notice, what does he say? He doesn't just say, hey, guys, I just want you to get to know each other, so sit in a circle and just kind of talk. (laughs) He says, what does he say, Verse verse 20? Building yourselves up in your most holy faith which is making a reference to the gospel. So when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about God saves sinners. He says people who were at, at, at enemies of God, and he has forgiven them by his grace. He knows all of your sins. He knows every of the, the last horrible things you would never want anybody to know. He has looked at those and said, paid for in Jesus, which means that all the worst things about you he knows, and he is redeeming and all the good things about you, he's making better. And so then he looks at you and says, here is this stone of a person. Got Kind of like, you know, a big bald forehead here. They've got these sort of gifting there. And they're gonna be best placed in the church in this place. So our job, you see this, our job is to know and delight in what God delights in each one of us and to work together to build us into the family of Jesus here, right? It's a constant ongoing activity, right? It requires constant work. You see this all the time in any sort of like major heroic movies or events. So my, my favorite series right now, obviously the Avengers, right? You think about this in the first major Avengers movies, how did they get to be the team that eventually took down, spoiler alert, Thanos? how did they get to that point, right? You think about the first avengers movie like they all get kind of like thrown in and there's like these arrogant people that think like i got the best ideas i'm doing great and then like basically self-destruct right they had to figure out like oh you're gifted at this and you're good at that okay cap you call the shots you know hulk smash you know you kind of figure out how to like work together that's kind of what, the, what he's saying here, right? right? If you're going to get from here to there to see Jesus face to face and be happy about it and be happy along the way, you need to get to know each other, figure out how is each other made and redeemed, where are the hurts and pains where you need the grace of God and our patience and care, where are the gifting that we want to strengthen you in. That's a part of building the family of Jesus here, building his house that he likes, right, as opposed to verse 19 those who are at war with God's people, who are family haters, they cause what? Divisions. They don't like God's design. They're worldly people, and they are devoid of the Spirit. Right? So there will be at times, amidst the building of God's house, those who are trying to take the bricks out and scatter them. Right? And if that is your intention, I just want you to hear from me, from God's Word. You will not win. God will build his house, God will build his people, and we will do that by the grace of God together. I feel like if anybody's ever talked to me, you know that I generally tend to just, all my pastoral counseling and care comes out of the book of Ephesians. So there's a there's a section in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 that I wanted to kind of use as an illustration to kind of help us understand. Okay, so we're talking about getting to know each other and doing all this stuff, but Paul gets pretty specific here. So verse 15 of chapter 4 in Ephesians, it, it might not be on the screen, but I, I'm going to read it for us. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Verse 16, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint by which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Right? That, sounds, that sounds kind of like what we're talking about, right? Sounds familiar then skipping down a few verses, verse 25, he gives some specifics of how do we do this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Right? So the first thing he goes to is he goes, how do you build each other up in Jesus? With your words. How do you use your words to build each other up? Well, first of all, uh, if you've been around a family long enough or you've been in this family long enough, you occasionally get angry with each other, <laughs> right? You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get, you know, disappointed. There's going to be expectations that are not met. And so, first of all, we're committed to using our words to not be angry words to each other, right? right? <laughs> do we be angry and do not sin? Do not let the sun go down your anger. I don't think that's just basically... I, I mean, certainly, you, if you want to apply that, like, literally, like, by sundown, 8 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the middle of the winter, you've got to have all your anger done with. And if you get angry at 5 o'clock, you've got 23 hours to get it done with. I don't think that's exactly what he's talking about. Could be. I think, basically, he's saying, don't, be, don't let kind of, like, the close of the chapter with anybody that you're friends with in Jesus be angry, right? Don't let the last line of the movie be, and they were angry, and they never talked again. Like, that's not... The, the conclusion of a relationship should not be anger. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing his work with, uh, his honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need, again, is words, and then use your hands, right? That's part of the reason we take up an offering and we do benevolence is so that in Jesus, we're eager to give to and share with and support each other's faith in Jesus. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. It. This is maybe one of those more the most pointed statements about how we use our words in the Bible. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. I don't think this is kind of saying like you don't use those four-letter words. I don't think that's what this is talking about. Corrupting talk is what poisons. It gossips. It, it, it undermines the reputation. It undermines the value and dignity of other people. It undermines their ability to be people who are in Jesus and have dignity, right? It, it's, it's kind of side comments like, hey, did you hear? Oh, I, I have a prayer request for somebody, and I just like to pray for this situation. It's, it's sharing things that are not yours to share about, It's undermining people's good standing in the community. But we use our words for what? (laughs) To use your words for building each other up, as fits the occasion, right? There are sometimes where we want to say things that don't exactly fit this situation. You know, maybe like, um, just as a general point, any critiques for young parents should be waited on for a year until you give them, (laughs) because they're so sleep deprived, they don't even have the brain to be able to hear anything you've got to share. Just a general word of advice. Um, And may give grace to those who are here. So, back to Jude. We want to be joining... We want to be contending to build up God's family. Contending for the family. Can we throw up that slide, by the way? Um, Contending for the family's house. And so, here's just a basic question. How can we... How can we be doing this? How can we be tending for God's house? First of all, just... Ask this basic question what 's God doing and how can I join it what 's God doing in somebody in jesus what 's God doing in that person 's life, and then how can I join it? So contending for the family's house all right, second thing we can do verse second half of verse twenty, contending for the family's lingo. Can we throw that slide up contending for the family's lingo so here we go verse twenty i 'm just going to read the full verse of verse twenty, but you beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith. And praying in the Holy Spirit—just that little phrase, praying in the Holy Spirit—that it literally just means in the control of the Holy Spirit. The phrase is basically saying, are you being led by the Spirit in how you pray for each other? Are you being led by the Spirit in how you love each other and use your words? So, if you're doing the first half of the verse correctly, right, seeking to build each other up in Jesus, you're going to feel very deeply your need for the second half of the statement, praying for each other, <laughs> because you're going to get frustrated, angry, disappointed. You're going to have expectations dashed and parent caring for each other. And so what do you, how do you respond to that? Okay, I, you know what? Instead of telling Jacob exactly what I feel, first of all, I want to pray. I want to pray in the controlling of the Holy Spirit. I want to join what God is doing. And so let me pray. Right, God's word, God's work in us is too great for us to be, to be entrusted to our own strength. So God gives us the gift of prayer to join His work in keeping each other safe in Jesus. Right, and like I said last week when we talked about Psalm 55 and prayer, this is a constant weakness for me. Is I'm I'm a guy of action, right? If you know me long, I'm like I like to say, "Here's what, we're, here's the plan, and let's move forward." I tend to just neglect prayer as a way in which I think about moving forward in Jesus. So this is God's correction to me. I, All right, let's figure out a good plan. Sounds good, let's do it. Maybe we need a little bit more prayer mixed into my own life. We're often busy, we're often forgetful, and prayer often sounds inconvenient, which is why I think from last week's Psalm 55, 17, David committed to praying morning, afternoon, and evening because he wanted to be a man of prayer. Here's a little quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a pastor in London during World War II. Um, he says this, Always respond to every impulse to pray. Never resist. Never postpone it. Never push it aside because you are busy. Give yourself to it and yield it. Nobody, nobody actually desires to pray. <laughs> Because it's just like convenient, right? Prayer comes out of our hearts because the spirit is already at work. That's the, that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to prompt our hearts and eyes to look to Jesus for help. And so whenever you feel that impulse to pray, like yield to it. That, that, that's that's, that's the, the easiest thing to do is just to say like, okay, here's the deal. When I'm about to say the words I'm about to say, I probably have a little bit of a yellow light in my heart, whatever they are. To say, Spirit, Spirit, saying, pray, pray first. Maybe submit your heart to God. Maybe when you're in the middle of that argument with your spouse, and you're about to go for the zinger, you know what I'm talking about. Yellow light, pray. Okay, maybe I should pray first. Maybe with a co-worker, and you're about to just go off. Yellow light, pray. Holy Spirit, just kind of pull on your heart. Pray. Okay, maybe, maybe I need to pray first. Right? Being under the control of the Holy Spirit is not doing crazy stuff all the time, saying crazy you know, words and just going nuts and raising your hands in worship. Often it is a heart submission to say, okay, I want to lean into God first before I do my own will. That's what Jude is giving us here. He's saying, right, in the control of the Holy Spirit, pray for each other. But secondly, I want to throw up this second quote here, I think kind of draws us back into doing this together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how how much trouble he causes me. Can we throw that up? I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. Being in the life of Jesus with his people, doing this together is hard. We will often have frustrations with each other. We want to be joining what God's doing in each other, and want to be happy about it. And the only way to be happy about what God's doing in people that frustrate you is to pray. Right? One thing that I want to just provide for you guys as a resource in the back on the red table back there, there's um, a bunch of free books on the bo- on prayer. Um, I've actually given these out before, and I got another box sent to me. There, it's called "Take Words with You," and all it is is basically categories of prayer needs that we would have in the Bible: praying for the glory of God, praying for mercy, praying for suffering, praying for help, praying for healing, praying for grace, um, praying the promises. It's all set up. It's a fantastic book. It's free. I want you to take it because it's it's just going to be it's a helpful resource because you're sometimes like I feel the impulse to pray. I want to pray for other people. I think I want to pray about you know a temptation that somebody's facing. What does the Bible say about temptations for what somebody else is facing or what I'm facing? That book has it all categorized for you, and it's easy to use. It's just user-friendly. Take it. I don't want any more of them. I want you to have them. Um, and they're nice and compact, so you can throw them in your purse or your bag, and they're, they're easy to carry around. But those are, it's just a resource to help us pray. So here's what we've been looking at. We want to be working with each other to be happy about Jesus in our lives, happy to see Jesus face-to-face, So we've been talking about contending to protect your Jesus family. So we've looked at contending to protect your family house, family lingo, which is a prayer. Next, we're going to look at verse 21, contending for the family's love. Right. Everybody knows, like, if you've been around a family, uh, uh, you've got different spectrums of dysfunctional. You've got, like, dysfunctional and healthy, right? Every family is, like, fairly dysfunctional, but you know, if the healthy spectrum side of dysfunctional, and then you've got the unhealthy side, but there's, there's always kind of this ethos that comes out of a family, right? Um, there's a, there, how do they, what's, what's the main kind of impulse of the family? Like, do they, do they, are they real big Red Sox fans, or do they hate the Red Sox? Do they love to show uh, compassion to their neighborhood, or are they more kind of insular? It's kind of an ethos, right? Verse 21 picks up on what the main point of Jesus' family is, that ethos, right? Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, right? If you're you're a grammar nerd or if you're kind of like into like how sentences are structured, just to kind of give you a sense... There is only one verb in this whole sentence. Verse 20 and 21 makes a whole sentence. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, that's a participle. So that means it modifies the verb. Praying in the Holy Spirit, that's a participle. It means it modifies the verb. Keep yourselves in the love of God, that's the only verb. Keeping is the only verb in the sentence. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to the eternal life. So waiting is a participle. So love... Keeping yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God is the main gravity of this whole two-verse sentence. sentence. And then you do that by the other things we've been talking about. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. When Ray Ortwin, actually, this whole question I started out with, how do some Christians become mean? Ray Ortwin, who's an old pastor in Acts 29, he called out this verse as the main way Of a long life in Jesus that ends you in being happy in him. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. Because in the midst of a life that is full of hardships, responsibilities, disappointments, you have the war inside of, I feel like I want to be growing in Jesus, but I'm not. You have the, the war of, I feel like these things should be happening in church and they're not. Or maybe they are, but not quite the way you'd like. I feel like our culture and our neighborhood should be going in this direction, and it's not. It's just going to be constant war and disappointment, and you can get a calloused heart. Has anybody ever felt that? Where you're just like, I am indifferent. I am calloused. It's almost kind of like, you know, you play your guitar long enough, you get callouses on your fingers. You play the disappointments of life long enough, and you just get a calloused heart. And what Jude is telling us, he is drawing our attention. He's saying, you must constantly, constantly, constantly be leaning into learning and keeping a tender heart towards the love of God. Keeping your hearts tender in the love of God. Right? It is, um, anybody who's ever been on a hike, I did a lot of hiking in high school or college, and it's hard, right? You get blisters on your feet. Maybe it's raining for three days unending. Remember this one hike where we were hiking 60 miles in four days, which is a pretty be- decent path that track to be keeping. 60 miles in four days. It rains for the first three days. And then finally the rain lets up and we're up in this mountain pass and I just couldn't quite see where we were going and I was beginning to kind of lose my mind. We get up, rain passes right towards the kind of like... like a what do you call that, like a valley between two mountains or whatever? Yeah. Suddenly the wind, the, the, the wind breaks in, blows the clouds away, and I can finally see, oh, that's where we've been going, right? Because when it's raining for three days, you're just constantly looking for puddles. Now that's where we're going. We often need that with each other. That is who has saved us. God, in his infinite love, has broken into the dark shadows of our lives and has reached down his love and personally comes down and sits in all the pain and suffering that we feel and has done away with all the wrath and condemnation that we deserve for our sin because he has loved us. Keep yourselves in that love. Keep yourselves constantly looking at it. But here's the crazy thing about this this whole keeping thing is that you're not doing it because I'm like, I've got to make sure that God knows that I love him, so I've got to keep myself in his love. Verse 1 of this whole book (laughs) says, To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus. Right? So the book begins, you're kept in Jesus. And then the book ends, verse 24 Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God and Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. So then when he says in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, he's saying you're doing a keeping that's in the context of his keeping already. He has kept you. He is doing it. He will not fail. Like our technology, like like we've experienced this morning, our tech is going to break, and our ability to keep ourselves in God's love is going to fail frequently. But God's keeping is unending and perfect. It is solid and true and undeniable. It will never break, just like Jesus was broken for you. His promises are true, and it is outside of you and constant. So his keeping that he is telling you to do, is in the context of being kept. Which is just in and of itself, another reason to have a tender heart towards the love of God for you. I'm being kept right now in my spiritual exhaustion and amnesia, in my spiritual indifference to who God is. I am right now being kept. So maybe... I need to give some better attention to keeping myself tender to that love. That's what he's holding out for you because you can't do it alone. I've, as I've been discipling people, the new in Jesus, what should I be doing? Get to know God's people, walk together with them. It's real simple. Because you are not made to be a solo Christian. You're not saved to be a solo sheep. We must do this together. And I often need my friends, Jacob, it just seems like we've gotten a little tough. A little bit of some callous over the soul. Jacob, it just, you know, a little bit of some hard words at times. I need that to be kept with a tender heart for Jesus. Because I want us to be happy Christians who are happy to see Jesus face to face and a calloused heart isn't happy. So he holds out this main main thing for us. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I could go off on how do we do that. I think worship, hanging out with each other, that's a primary way to do it. If you're looking for books, I could rattle them off. Anything by Michael Reeves, Delighting in the Trinity, Rejoicing in Christ, those are both fantastic books. J. F. Packer's Knowing God, obviously John Piper's Desiring God. Keeping our hearts tender to him requires work because he has made himself so infinitely available to us. I can feel this in my own heart that I often grow calloused. And so I need you to walk beside me to have a heart tender for his love. So, let me ask this question and we'll move on. What's your plan to keep your heart tasting the love of God today and tomorrow? Could I recommend it involves building his people up with your words and it involves praying in the Holy Spirit, to keep yourselves in the love of God. Those are maybe two obvious ones from this passage. And then we're going to end here by contending for the family's relief. This is maybe a, a surprising way to keep yourself in the love of God, keep your heart tender in him. John Newton, I don't know if you know who John Newton is. He wrote the, the song Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the song. He wrote that hymn, he is reported to have said that he had two eyes and two days in his, in his eyes, two days in my eyes, this day and that day. He has one eye for this day and one eye for that day. If it's not true, it should be, but it's a helpful instruction. We have our eyes on today and we have our eyes on that day, which is, what is where Jude lands us here, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life right? This is why we're saying contending for the family's relief because the family of Jesus is not satisfied until this is my father's world becomes a reflection of our father's heart. This world will reflect his heart one day. It will be renewed and restored. All the things that were broken and sad will be undone and he will have his kingdom pure and right. We have a king who is coming back who will restore this world to be exactly the way it should be. And so that means that there is a disconnect between this day and that day because this is not quite the same as what that day will be like. But we are waiting for that mercy. We are waiting for that relief. And that is why we must do this together. Because, as is often the case, we often grow a little tired, don't we? Who in here really, really, when you're at the grocery store, I was at the grocery store yesterday, you think, you know what? that line has five people with full carts and somebody that's going to write a check to pay for each one of those. I want to get in that line, (laughs) right? Who wants to pick the longest line at the grocery store because you just enjoy waiting that much? You just think, I just, you know what? I go to the grocery store so I can, I can just wait. (laughs) Nobody does. If you do, you've got psychological problems and I can refer you to a specialist, (laughs) but we need help to remember we are waiting for that day when he will restore all things and make all things new and so we need to wait together. Right? Again, just as a reminder, all of these verbs and participles going on in this sentence are not specific to you. They are to us together so we must do this together. So when we wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, we need each other to do that. We need each other To remind ourselves, yep, I know you're struggling, you've tempted, you've fallen again, but we're waiting for that mercy when he will restore all things. Maybe with your waiting, I'm not sure what happens in your heart when you're waiting. I tend to think this doesn't matter, nobody cares, this is ridiculous. If we're waiting for Jesus to return... And we're waiting for him to come back, and it's not happening today. We can often go, is it true? Is it real? Does he care? Does it matter? Don't we? I kind of forget, oh, Jesus is coming back. Maybe it just doesn't really matter that much. Maybe this is the best it's going to get. Maybe it's not true. Maybe that's why, next verse, and have mercy on those who doubt, verse 22. Maybe that's why he threw that in there, because God knows that between here and there, we're going to just struggle. Waiting is not fun. But we must remind each other as sure as Jesus died for our sin and paid the penalty for all the wrath of God that we deserve, he also died to make all things new and to repair our broken bodies and souls and give us a new heaven and a new earth to live with him there forever. Mercy must orbit, center in the orbit, right? of who we are and how we think about things. We began verse the book of Jude, verse 2, ha, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, and here we are, and have mercy on those who doubt, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must have compassion and understanding that it is going to be hard between this day and that day, and we want to be happy Christians who get to that day and are happy about it. And so, can we just have a little bit of some compassion when we struggle? A little, a little bit of, you know what? I get that it's hard. We haven't received what we deserved, which is the very nature of the love of God for us. And so let's continue to have mercy on each other as we look to protect each other in Jesus. I think if we can become a community and grow as a community of people, you know what? You don't have to be perfectly restored in Jesus today. You can be in him, but you don't have to be perfect We can start becoming a community of people that use our words to build each other up, that uses our prayers to pray for each other and the Spirit's work in each other, that have hearts that are tender for the love of God and that are waiting for a king to return for his kingdom together. And we can do that together to protect each other in Jesus, to be happy in him together. And we're grateful for dogs too. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for what you've done for us in Jesus. I pray that we would be a community of people that protect each other with our words, with our prayers, with our hopes and our tender hearts and our desire to wait for you. I pray that you would help us to be those people together and that we protect each other in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire.